We've a lot to get on with today. Items that need to be attended to. Issues that need to be addressed. Topics. Oh, topics. We've got lots and lots of topics. We're positively booming to the seams with topics. We've got topics coming out of uh, topics coming out of this shoe. This shoe. I know you can't see it there, but this is terror of the mind. But nonetheless, it is a real shoe. I have a shoe here. The shoe isn't going to be on the program because it's not a video program. But I'm using a real shoe here that I'm going to use as my source for the fictional shoe that I'm going to present to you on this audio program in this theater of the mind. Oh, it's like if you're doing a radio play and they say, oh, we're going to have the fella walking along the beach now. You're going to hear his feet shuffling along the beach. Sometimes they have have something that makes that noise from the sound effects department. But sometimes they have some stones. They have a little box, a little tray full of stones, maybe a cat litter tray, something like that. They fill it up with stones and they have some sound effects fella. Got a pair of shoes where he's got his hands in the pair of shoes and he's walking them on the spot in the tray of stones. So there is a kind of a little beach there and there is a pair of shoes there, but they're not the beach and the shoes that appear in the mind of the person listening to the radio play. No, no, the person listening to it here is a full a full scale beach and shoes that are attached to a man's legs well attached to the attached to his feet assuming he has feet the legs are attached to his feet uh, if they're not they're attached to whatever the man has instead of feet I don't know what do people have instead of feet when they don't have feet do they even have anything maybe they do I suppose some of them have a, a prosthetic feet attached to real legs or they have prosthetic uh, maybe they lose their foot but they keep their toes so they have real toes attached to a prosthetic foot uh, which is a attached to a real leg and then the leg is attached to an artificial hip and the hip is attached to oh the hip is attached to god only knows what god only knows what with these people some of these people they just have a oh they're like one of those your man out of the your man out of the children's movie the Wizard of Oz, there's a fella in that who's got a head made out of straw or something. It's not Wurzel Gummidge, it's the other fella uh, who's probably more well-known abroad. You foreigners don't know who Wurzel Gummidge is. Well, unless you're a foreigner in England, in which case you probably know more about Wurzel Gummidge than I do. No, Wurzel Gummidge was a character on British children's television programme about a scarecrow who came to life. He looks like a moron. That's what he did. He was he gave a very bad impression of what scarecrows would be like if they could come alive in real life. If you were a child watching that, you were instantly prejudiced against scarecrows. Although maybe not, because I think it was designed for stupid children, impressionable children who think a scarecrow being full of crap and talking absolute bollocks and being cheeky is a good thing. It's not a good thing. That fellow was an absolute arsehole. He's a, probably a nightmare to live with in real life if he had been real. Uh, not the actor who played him, you understand. Where's Gummidge, the character? He was an arsehole. But he was an arsehole of the type that a child who was watching that would look up to. He might as well tell the child, oh, you should become an arsehole when you grow up. And that's why it was on commercial television instead of state television. Because they wouldn't allow crap like that on on state television, you get. Oh, you get some educational program about a... 
what am I talking about? We have state television in here. They don't have any, any educational stuff. They put on cartoons 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's cartoons and puppets, puppetry and cartoonage. They even have cartoons about puppets. They have Muppet Babies as a... Sometimes it's a cartoon and sometimes it's a puppet thing. And when it's a cartoon, it's basically... I don't know if people realise this, but with the cartoon version of Muppet Babies... What you're looking at there is a cartoon about puppets coming to life. So you're saying the puppets who actually exist, who we've grown up with for decades, Jim Henson's Muppets aren't real until you turn them into a cartoon. That's like when they made Terminator 5, I think it was, and they had it where the oh, the Terminator goes back to the beginning of Terminator 2 and sees himself and erases what happened there and changes how that went. Uh, that's exactly what they're doing with the Muppet Babies cartoons. I was at Puppets, I can never remember which... I watched the Muppet Babies in the 90s and there was a... I can't remember, I think it was a cartoon then, was it? And is it Puppets now then? I'm not sure, I lost track of what is or isn't real now. This is what happens if you watch television all your life. You lose track of what's real and not real. You start doing a good old-fashioned two cats walk into the bar story, as you'll hear either earlier in this show or later, and you get yourself tied up in knots as to whether the barman is real or whether the bar is real or whether it's a new barman who's being created from scratch every time for each incarnation of the two cats walk into a bar story or not. That's what television has done to me. Don't let your children watch television. It's absolute tripe. It'll destroy you. You run out of stuff to say 792 episodes into your podcast and then you have to take seven years off before you continue. That's what it does to your child. Is that what you want for your children? It probably is. You probably want your child to be a podcaster. Why do you want your child to be a podcaster? It's a miserable life. It's a miserable life you spend... Oh, you spent 17 years trying to turn yourself into some sort of an intellectual entertainer and people just come along and say, oh, look, he said bollocks a couple of times. He said bollocks a couple of times and he puts cats everywhere and he says, two cats walk into a bar and then he says, once upon a time there was a dog. And for some reason he's obsessed with Jim Henson's Muppets. That's what a podcaster is, you think. You think a podcaster is a... So you want your child to be... Oh, wait a minute. I've forgotten. Was I arguing that you want your child to be a podcaster or you don't want your child to be a podcaster? I forget now. Oh, yes. I was saying, yeah, you shouldn't want your child to be a podcaster. A terrible career. You end up sitting here in your, your late mother's empty room that's full of crap that I have to empty out at some point. And you're sitting there, you're back to the window looking into an ensuite toilet and you're sitting here thinking, how will I start the next segment? Will I say two cats walk into a bar? Will I say once upon a time there was a dog? Will I say, I know what you're thinking there, which is obviously a lie. Or will I say, you join me at a tremendously exciting moment. And then you think, no, if I say that, it'll restrict me because I'll have to put this segment at the beginning when I'm arranging everything at the end. That's what it's like being a podcaster. Now you do well to show your children that. Show your children this podcast. Just tell them to ignore the swearing and the toilet humour and uh, everything else. Tell them to ignore everything else. To ignore 
ignore everything I say. Don't listen to the words coming out of my mouth, but just use it as a study in a, in a career in podcasting. Tell them this is what it's going to be like. Do you want to end up like that? Do you? Do you want to end up like that? And then give them a clip round the ear and then box them in the face and then say, this is what podcasting does to you. You turned me into a violent thug who hits my children. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to be, is it, when you grow up? And then he, and then he punched, punched the child in the face. And you say, look, I'm an absolute thug. I'm a terrible parent. And that's because I grew up on podcasting. I didn't even have a podcast. I was just a listener. And here I am trying to talk you, I think I was trying to talk you out of being a podcaster, is that right? I think so. <laughs> uh, anyway, on with the show. I know what you're thinking there. You're thinking, oh, this is good. This has gone downhill very fast, hasn't it? Gone downhill very fast. Well, that's because of gravity. The only way, if something is going downhill very fast, that's because it had reached a great height. A great height. I tell you, you won't find... You go ask mountaineers about this. Because uh, you go ask a mountaineer who goes up Mount Everest, and you'll say, well, you'll say, did you come downhill very fast? And they'll say, oh, it was quite fast. Yes, quite fast. Mainly because I got to the summer quite late in the day. And we were afraid. We were afraid that if we didn't get back to camp soon enough, uh, quickly enough, it would be dark before we found it. And then we'd be have to be doing that thing that mountaineers call it when they sleep out away from camp all night. Uh, I forget what the name. They have some fancy weird name for it. Uh, and they have to, oh, basically they sit in a hammock or something hanging off a cliff or they dig a hole in the snow and they spend the night there because uh, they can't reach their camp by by nightfall. Uh, they have a name. I forget, I forget what the name is. It's some ridiculous big name, big word. Uh, like something, it's a big word, but it's also a choice. Sounds like something a child would make up or something out of Harry Potter. Hold on a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to look up what that is on my phone. What's that thing? Uh, apparently the word is COVID. Now, I don't think that's quite right. Uh, or something, or something, uh, this isn't the word, but it was something that sounded as, as ridiculous as something like nonny gaggling or something like that. This is your future self during the editing process. The word is bivouac. B-I-V-O-U-A-C. You hadn't a hope in hell of finding it by searching for it because you've no idea how it's spelled. Bivouac. It's available on all the book I had read. Every little thing about people climbing Everest became obsessed. as uh, about as... That's a, that's a bit... Uh, Became like cocaine to me. It was exactly like cocaine. I'd get out these audio books. Uh, I'm in. I'm in that audio book thing that all podcasters like to promote. Uh, but I don't. I don't because everybody already has it. And for another thing, this is a non-commercial podcast. There's going to be no commercials in the new era of Into Your Head. It's just going to be me uh, talking about things you might like to buy and then getting you addicted to them the same way a cocaine dealer will get you addicted to cocaine. Uh, so no, if you look in the 
If you look in the audio book section, you'll find a lot of books about people who climb Everest. Now, I would avoid the ones about the people who grew up as part of one of those things where you have a guide who brings you up and it's a big touristy thing. No, get the older ones about the proper mountaineers who go up. They fill their coat pockets with sweets that they have for lunch and then they mix some of the sweets with the snow when they're getting desperate and try to turn it into some sort of a soup. There's one of them there one night. He was out of food and they were back at their camp and he had a bit of hot water but not much and he had a few boiled sweets and he put them in the hot water and he said this was the most delicious substance I've ever drunk or eaten. He said it was absolutely fucking fantastic. Then I think he died. I think a couple of years after he wrote the book that fella died. Probably from malnutrition. I don't know. Although they say his body was never found. If you die from malnutrition you get so thin that you fade away you turn into a pencil thin person and you can't be found anymore you slip down through some cracks that's what malnutrition does to you Although don't be fooled, because malnutrition can also make you swell up. We used to see this in the 1980s when Bob Geldof was doing videos for Live Aid. They'd say, here's some, here's some children in Ethiopia who are starving to death. Now don't be fooled by the fact that their bellies are completely swollen. You're probably there thinking, that child there is not starving. That child has just had about three tons of sugar puffs every morning for breakfast, followed by eight rounds of toast for the last eight years of its life and it should be taken away from its parents as parents are irresponsible and should be locked up just like in that episode of The Simpsons where the, the Simpsons children get temporarily taken into care and then they're looked after by what's his name next door the religious fella it's a bit like that except it's not you're misunderstanding the situation their stomachs are swollen because they're starving it's a symptom of some sort of malnutrition or something all they have to eat is some Oh, some oats that they get. They get some oats, just like a horse. Oats are fine for a horse, but if you give it to a child, especially even if it's in very small quantities, it's bad for you because it, it makes you not full of food. That's what it does to you. People think porridge oats and things like that are very good for you and nutritious. That's only if you eat enough of them. If you're rationed to three flakes of oats a day, that's not good for you at all. That's going to starve you to death. That's why you have to read the, you have to read the portions on these. I used to make this porridge for a family member I was looking after. They have these porridge every day. It came in a pot, so it had an exact measure, and there was a line printed on the inside of the tub. And it says, fill it up with milk or water to this line. No less. If you fill it up less than that, then it'll disintegrate in the microwave. A porridge is very difficult to prepare. I don't know if you young people realise that, because you all have your you all have your sugar puffs. Well, you don't have your sugar puffs anymore, because they ruined that. The sugar tax has ruined sugar puffs. Uh, sugar puffs now, are, they're called, oh, they're called honey monster. Honey monster capsules or something. Are basically the things that plop out of the back of the honey monster. The honey monster hasn't had a proper breakfast in about a decade because of political correctness. You're not allowed to put sugar in your children's breakfast anymore. So the honey monster has had to resort to eating honey, which he somehow managed to convince everybody is is healthy because it's natural, his natural show. So he eats honey all day. They don't put the honey in the cereal, but the honey monster eats uh no, he doesn't. That's a load of but That's a lie. I'm as bad as the people who make that Wurzel Gummidge thing. No, no, I'm lying to you. I might as well be the 
absolutely ridiculous. Uh, now, I've made a reference to Wurzel Gummidge thing. I just mentioned that that may be for a segment that you haven't heard yet. It's a back reference to a future segment. You're sophisticated enough as a listener to be able to handle that. I can reference something that's coming up that you haven't heard yet and it won't make you explode trying to figure it out. We'll get to that eventually. It'll all be completely fine. Not a worry at all. Not a worry at all. Anyway, then, uh, where was I going? Ah, something about cereals and children in Africa and children in the 80s. And, of course, those children in the 80s, if you went back to them now, you'd find they were, oh, they're like 50 or something. They're like 54 years old and they haven't a notion of a clue how to make porridge. They have no idea. There was such a shortage when they grew up. I did their best to get out the... Is this entertaining? It probably is. If you're entertained by this, there's something wrong with you. There's something very, very wrong with you. I'm not entertained by it at all. When I'm entertained, yeah, I make myself laugh. I'm not making myself laugh here at all. I did a segment earlier where I made myself laugh and I still doesn't even know what the fuck I was talking about. But here I am... No, it's not. This isn't working at all. This is abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. This should be removed from the... Removed from there. That's what it should be. Removed from there. Into your head. You may have noticed I started the program earlier. I just started a segment earlier. It said, oh, I've got topics coming out of this shoe. Then I argued that the shoe wasn't actually going to be part of the program, but it would be representative of a shoe that would be part of the program. Like when someone's walking along a beach in a radio drama. The sound effects fella is making a sound... Uh, with a pair of shoes that he has on his hands it's representing in your mind real shoes that are walking along the beach the character's shoes and we all know of course that's not true the character probably isn't even wearing shoes at all how can a fictional character wear shoes he can't for all we know the actor who's playing the fictional character isn't even wearing shoes he probably doesn't need to he doesn't need to it's not like a TV drama where you have to have proper dress up stuff these radio things just every day is casual dress down Friday. They can come along in their pyjamas if they want. These uh, We used to have these radio soaps on Irish radio here. We had Harbour Hotel, Bestia thing about a little bed and breakfast down the country somewhere. And there was some old woman on it who was always giving out. She'd say, oh, something, 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 something. And then someone else would say, something, 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 something. And then they'd say, and Harbour Hotel will be back tomorrow. And then the one o'clock lunchtime news would come on and we'd say, oh, isn't this great? Isn't this great? National radio, we have a, we have a prime time drama at quarter to one every day. We have proper drama played by proper actors uh, who it turns out were just in some room somewhere, not even dressed for all we know. Then, of course, we found out about 10 years later, they decided, oh, we need presenters who are celebrities. We need to pay them 3 million euros an hour each. So we can't be making dramas anymore. We're going to replace everything with two-hour blocks and have some fella talking crap for some obscene amount of money. 
and then we'll have some woman introducing music for an hour at lunchtime, and then we'll have an hour of news with some fellow who's far too overpaid to be a normal newsreader. Every five years, the fellow who does the news at lunch leaves to go get a job working as a politician's PR, and then after that, they have a phone in. They have a fellow sitting there who says, Hello, my name's Joe. I'm an ordinary, bog-standard member of the public. For the past 30 years, I've been paid 5 million euros an hour to listen to you folding it in. People like to say when you're doing a, when you're doing a job half-assed, they like to say, oh, he's folding it in. Well, this fellow who does the phone-in on Irish Radio in the afternoon, he's not even folding it in. He's getting the listeners to phone it in. He just sits there listening. He says, hello, who's on the phone? And someone says, hello, Joe, I'm a listener. I want to say something. And Joe says, that's fine. Off you go and say something. Off you go and say something. Phone it in. Well, the joke's on him now, because half of the people don't even listen to that anymore. They just follow the hashtag on Twitter. They say, oh, I wonder what's happening on the folding it in show today. The people who are listening have the grace to put her on Twitter and say, here's what you're missing on that programme today, isn't it terrible? I don't know why I'm listening to it. The advanced version of folding it in, he's tweeting it in. They have another fellow on after that. Uh, he does stuff as well. And then, the I think I only started with the... I was running through the schedule. I think I started at midday, didn't I? I did a music program that's all at midday. Uh, so I should explain that before that, there's another fellow who talks crap for two hours. And before that, there's another fellow who talks crap for an hour. And then before that, it's the big morning news program. So there's five or six people of various different assorted types uh, talking crap for an hour and a half. They say, this is the news. It's very important. You've just woken up into this hellhole Monday morning hell. You've woken up at six o'clock and you thought, oh Christ, I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm still alive and I still have a fucking job to go to. Jesus Christ. So you try to make the best of it by turning on the radio. And they say, Hello, time for the news now. I'm going to spend your morning can you telling you about all these terrible things that are going on. First of all, we'll tell you about the traffic that you're stuck in. Very busy on the road into Dublin. If you can avoid it at all, go somewhere else other than Dublin today. Ring up your boss and say, I don't want to go to Dublin today. Can I work somewhere else? Can I remotely work from home or something? Or can I work from my car in a traffic jam? Or can I get out of the car and just have a picnic here, maybe? That's what people should do. The morning commute is very depressing for those of you who go to have jobs and careers and things and who drive. You can't improve the world and you can't improve your career. But you can't do something about how you operate your morning commute. You should build a picnic into it every morning. Bring your breakfast in a picnic basket. Bring a little, a little pot, one of those pocket gas heater things. Bring a little chair, pull over to the side of the motorway. Do it just before it turns into a motorway where it's still legal to stop. Pull over there and have a little picnic with your breakfast, wherever you're having. Maybe have a little fry up, a mini fried egg. Well, no, a normal sized fried egg, but made in a mini pan that holds a fried egg and not much else. Probably better off making an omelette then, if that's the case. An omelette or scrambled eggs. Because if you just have a fried egg, that's going to take up the whole pan. If the pan is deep enough, you can have a deep-filled omelette. Chop up the sausages, chop up the second egg that you want to put inside to make it extra eggy. 
chop up whatever else you want in it and then you just fry your hook on the thing and then you entertain all the passers-by with your oh what they think oh look that fella that fella knows how to live he stopped there for a little breakfast picnic he's probably going to have a lovely day now little do they know that in 10 minutes time you're going to have to pack your haul up and get back into your car and continue along your journey to your hellhole that is your job well, at least you brightened up other people's days good for you if that's what you're going to do for the world You've added something to the world. You've brightened people's days. Just not yours. You're used to having a piss after breakfast and you can't because you're at the side of the road. You have to get back in your car. Probably as cold as hell as well. It's absolutely freezing out. And then, of course, you're on these pills for your heart to make you piss all morning. You make you piss like a racehorse all morning. So you have to get to work just so you can have a piss. Ah, uh, so uh, maybe you should rethink this. Maybe if you get the train to work. It has a tour. It probably doesn't have seats though. They don't have seats on trains anymore. You get on the train and you say, Oh, this train. Full of commuters. So we've removed nearly all the seats. There's two seats left. That's one thing they don't do on the trains here. They remove all the seats from the trains, but they leave the seat that's in the toilet. If they remove the seat that was in the toilet, they could replace it with a urinal. And then two people could use it at one time and then that would be one less person in the rest of the carriage taking up space. But no, they won't do that. It's politically incorrect apparently to make people share public toilet on the train that's not a single cubicle. You have to have separate cubicles for everyone. The same people, they'll go in, happily go into a shopping centre or an office and they'll use the public urinal that's in there. They'll share a trough quite happily. But no, if you put one of those on a train, they'd say, no, that's not on. For some reason, that's wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because women can't use a urinal. Is that? Oh, now I've just realised that's probably why. Because if they do that, they still have to have the separate toilet for women. They can't get rid of the other toilet. To be fair, they have a point there. It's not practical. Although I wonder, did he ever even think about it? Because I've never thought about that till now. I've never occurred to me once to even think about whether or not it would be practical to have public toilet on the train that has public urinal trough format instead of just cubicles with a single toilet in each. It's never occurred to me to think about that till now. And of course, now that I think about it, I know that is not practical. But I wonder if the people who design these trains have ever thought about that. And I would bet you they haven't. And if they're not thinking about that uh, there can be damn sure that Christ as hell there's other things that are practical that they're not bothering to think about and they're not doing and I can't figure out what those things are and that's why we need that's why we need to keep an eye on these things Whoever is inventing these things and figuring out how they work, they're dictating for the next 300 years the way toilets will be on trains. And that can't be changed. But they're also determining how other things work on trains. They're determining whether or not you can have a sofa going up one side of the carriage with hats arranged along it to calm everybody down and make their commute happier. They're unilaterally determining that stuff in some boardroom somewhere. And we're not even getting the looking. We're not even being asked to have a public debate on these things. So it's all just getting done. That's what happens if you live in a police state. Absolutely disgraceful. Before you know it, we'll be in North Korea. And then before you know it, we'll be in South Korea because we're traveling southbound. And then before you know it, we'll be, we'll be traveling across wherever the sea is south of North Korea. Or is there another country? I don't know. I don't think Korea is landlocked, is it? 
Or do you drive back up through North Korea to go to somewhere else from there? I don't know. I don't suppose it depends. You probably go somewhere else then first and then go to North Korea and then go south to South Korea. Because why would you drive down a whole peninsula only to drive back up to the next place that you want to visit after that? That'll make no sense whatsoever. Is China at the bottom of Korea? I'm not sure. I don't know my geography at all. I do know that North Korea is north of South Korea. I know that much. I know that China is over there beyond there somewhere, either below it or to the west of it or somewhere like that. Or maybe I don't know, actually, now that you mention it, I don't think I know that. I, I thought I knew that, but I've just looked at my thoughts and think, no, I don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, that's what happens, you see, when you have a proper stock take of what you do or don't know, instead of just assuming that you do or don't know a certain amount of stuff. You have to examine your thoughts. That's what they used to do when we used to go to Mass when we were children. And every few weeks they'd say, oh, you have to go to confession now. You have to examine your thoughts. You go in there and you say, hello, uh, what would you want to confess today? And you'll say, I don't want to confess anything. I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I'll choose to confess the things that I do that are considered sins. This morning I went for a piss at the side of the road and... Oh, now that you mention it, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Father, for helping me examine my thoughts. Because I was assuming that I had full of terrible thoughts. But I'm just thinking about it now. That's not a bad thought at all. It's perfectly reasonable. I was just trying to have a, have a piss at the side of the road and improve my morning commute so I'd arrive in a better mood, which benefits everyone who I work and live with. So that's not a terrible thought. Uh, so no, Father, after all, I've not, I've nothing to confess. But thank you for getting me to examine my thoughts. I have a much better view of myself now. I look at myself as a much better person than I did. I'm starting to like me. That's what I'm starting to do. I'm starting to like me. And then, of course, the priest will say, oh, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. And you'll say, no, just metaphorically, I'm starting to like me as a... And the priest says, yes, but in this metaphor, what do you represent? when you're starting to like you, and you'll say, oh, maybe I don't mean a metaphor. Yes, I'm starting to like me as a, as a person. And the priests say, oh, now I can't put my finger on anything in the Bible that would say that's wrong. Well, it sounds wrong. My impulse is to say that that sounds wrong. He shouldn't be liking you. That's, oh, immodesty. That's what it is. It's the cardinal sin of immodesty. You're being immodest by liking yourself. And of course you'll say, but hold on a minute, Father. I'm not liking myself on purpose. It's no more than if hiccuping's a sin. You can't say, stop hiccuping, that's a sin. It doesn't work like that. So I can't force myself to not like myself. Unless I do something terrible that makes myself unlikable, and then I unlike myself for that. You're saying I should do something terrible so that I'm not committing the sin of immodesty by doing something that I like and then liking it. And the priest says, I have to go and have a word with my bishop, if you don't mind, if you excuse me a moment. And you'll say, no problem, Father, off you go, off you go about your business. Go ask the bishop, is he still walking around in straight lines all the time? I hear he was, I hear he goes forward one square at a time, he goes up one square at a time, and then he goes up another square, and then he, oh, he knocks over a pawn sometimes, and then he goes up, and then he ends up at the bishop at the other side of the board, who you may know as a rook. They call them rooks sometimes, or sometimes they call them bishops. And then they, uh, I don't really see what their point is. You have a bishop at each corner of the board, 
and the bishop goes straight forward to the other side of the board where the opposing bishop is. They don't go anywhere near the queen or the king, and they just barely pass by the horsey thing. The weird horsey thing. The weird horsey thing on the chessboard that moves up one and then one diagonal, or as I would put it, up two and then one horizontal. But that's the same thing. That's just another way of saying the same thing. That's the problem with these horses. A horse in chess, you see. You can go in one move, you can go forward one square and then forward diagonally one square. But that's the same as going forward two squares and then sideways one square. It has exactly the same effect. You're moving in an L-shape effectively. But you look at it different ways. If you found a horse that moved straight forward two steps and then sideways one step, that would seem unnatural and robotic. But it's a lot more natural if it goes forward one step and then diagonally. 90 degrees to the next square. I suppose it is anyway. Is it? Maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. It just seems that way to me. It just seems that way to me. Anyway, on with the show. show please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts even if you already did one before neil's brief seven-year interlude didn't like it try replaying it at double speed before you give up entirely no i know what you're thinking there you're thinking oh that's very interesting now that's very interesting you got through a whole segment without doing a two cats walk into a bar story that's a that's a turn up for the books because since the comeback in late October. He's been very heavy on the two cats walking to a bar story. Sometimes he does that. Once upon a time there was a dog. Well no, there's a lot of two cats walking to the bar story. I didn't want to say anything, but I thought it's been getting a bit much now. He's been relying on it too much, becoming a central part of the programme, and that's not really on. It's not really on. It shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to have a podcast that he just fill up with two cats walking to a bar our stories. That's what you're thinking. Ah, if you don't mind me saying so. In fact, whether you do mind me saying so or not, that's absolute pure bollocks. Absolute pure bollocks. Two cats walking to a bar is a perfectly reasonable and legitimate way to start a segment. And while you may well spend some time repetitively going on about the process whereby the cat purchases a pint of Guinness from the barman, it always leads on to something from there. It leads on to something. It leads on to specifically the cat and the barman having a, a long interchange about various topics that may or may not include the Guinness and the pub and the barman and the cat, but there's always other things as well. Think of the two cats walk into a bar story as my pencil. You probably have 8,000 pencils because you don't want to, you don't want to start everything with the same pencil because that's repetitious. Oh no, you think, oh, I'm getting a bit heavy on the HB2 yellow pencil. I'll take out a blue H43 blunt pencil, but I'll sharpen it a bit. 
or sharpen it to where it's just halfway between the sharpness of a HB pencil and a HC pencil. It's not an off the peg sharpness. So it'll be different. It'll be unique. That's what you're thinking. You do the same with pens. You think, oh, so I could start this off with a nice new pen here. But lots of people do that. This is a very common pen and there's millions of people buy this type of pen. So there's millions of things being written today that have been written with this full pen exactly the same as this. So what I'll do is I'll use a bit of the pen I'll scribble away on it until it's slightly less full. Then if I have a pen that's 96% full of ink, there's a lot lower chance that it'll be the identical to the writing that's done work by other people who have a biro, because some of them will have the same biro, but it's 97% full. Some of them will have the same biro, but it's 94% full. So it spreads it out a bit. That's what you're thinking. Well, if you don't mind me saying so, I think that's ridiculous. I think that's ridiculous. That's no way to run your life. Everything you do that you enjoy, you can never do again because you're afraid it'll be repetitious. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Get out your old pen and... Oh no, wait. How do I fix this for you? Get one thousandth of the same pen and for the rest of your life use a brand new pen every morning that's the same level of fullness and exactly the same. But write something different with it. That's what you do. And then you'll understand my two cats walk into a bar repetition. is not a repetition at all. It's just a way to get going. And fuck you for even bringing it up, by the way. Trying to wreck my creative process that I've built up over 20 years. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know. Not the podcasting part. But the making stuff up by starting it with a sentence. I've been doing that for 20 years. I used to sit down and write a thing called Neil's Belch. And where we go, I've always been a great believer in the dictum. And then I'd say something Latin and then I go, which of course means. And then I continue off writing a page of nonsense. It was absolute tripe. But that's the tripe on which this podcast is built, I'll have you know. And you're coming round complaining about it. No, go teach your grandmother how to suck eggs. Go and do that. And before you say, yes, that is a term here, go teach your grandmother how to suck eggs. The implication being that she knows full well how to suck eggs. You're going around telling her something she knows much better than you. Have a bit of, whatever the opposite of what you're doing now is, have a bit of that. Ah, uh, not modesty. What's the thing where you're, ah, uh, you know what I mean. The opposite of that other thing. Uh, the opposite of pride. That other thing. Humility. Have a bit of humility. You don't know everything about everything. I'm working on helping you to know everything about everything, but it's an ongoing process and it'll never be finished because one day I'm going to, oh, one day, a hundred years from now, I won't be doing this podcast anymore and you won't yet know everything about everything. You'll have points at which you've known almost everything about everything, but then more stuff will have happened, and more stuff will have come into being. So unless you accelerate to a great speed, and you don't get slowed down when this podcast ends, uh, then you're never going to catch up on everything, so you're never going to know everything. I bet you seven years ago, when I shut down this podcast for a while, you thought, oh Christ, I was so near to knowing everything, but now he's gone on, he's fucking closed down the podcast, and then you spent the last seven years trying to find another podcast that would continue on exactly where I left off and fill up the remaining few percent of your knowledge about everything. He never found one that was an exact match. He found other podcasts that were full of information, 
but it was information that you already knew. You never found one that had the right 5% that I had left you not having. So it didn't really work out. And that's the way it's going to be for the rest of time for you, sadly. I know it's sad and all, but you're never going to know everything. You're just not. You're never going to know everything. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It doesn't mean you have a low IQ or you're a poor herder or anything. You're just never going to know everything because that's the way the world is built around you. There isn't some magical thing that's going to come along and fill up your last remaining stuff. Like a refill in a, some fast food places abroad, I'm given to understand, have free fill up. When you finish your fizzy drink, and you have a free top up. They fill up your cup again. They fill it back up to the top. Uh, but as soon as you start drinking from that, it's it's, it's unfull again. So what, how does that get you? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere. just leaves you thinking, oh, this is going to be empty again soon. I'm going to be right back where I started, except I'm going to need a piss. But also, I'm still going to be thirsty because I'm eating these fries that have 10 tons of salt on them. Cramming these salty fries down my gut. The only reason I'm eating the fries is because is I'm... No, I'm on one of those man versus food programs on the uh, on that food network. I'm doing that. What's that one where they they do challenges? They have people in an eating competition where you give them an hour and to see who can be the fastest to eat twenty burgers. And you often see on that program is one fellow who has a proper plan, and his plan is to uh, he starts eating the burgers for every couple of minutes. He eats a few fries as well, and for some reason the salty fries balance against the burger and make him able to take on more burger then. And that's what you're going to end up doing. So you're just going to need more and more and more of everything. Never going to be, you're never going to be finished eating your meal. You'll run out of fizzy drink and you'll want more fizzy drink. You'll run out of fries and then you won't be able to eat any more burger until you get more fries. I think there's another fellow who does it. He has some dessert on the side and that balances out the fries or something if he's trying to eat a lot of fries. It's ingenious, really, these people. It's ingenious. People like to mock these television channels. They have stuff like they say, oh, that channel, that TLC, that used to stand for the Learning Channel and now it's just crap. It's absolutely appalling. It's not appalling. It's perfectly reasonable entertainment for people who've had a long day at the office they want to come home and watch some crap and the channel is providing crap for them, which they paid for, incidentally. They're entitled to. If you want to come home and watch crap, you should be allowed to come home and watch crap. Same for your children. Your children should be allowed to come home from a hard day at the school and allowed to watch crap, non-educational crap. That's full to the brim of absolute meaningless fluff that will never do them any good in the real world of working and learning. It's there to relax them. It's there so they don't have to go out and get some drugs to have the same effect because you don't want your child addicted to drugs, do you? Or even taking drugs. Because it's never enough. It's never enough for these people. They want their child to not be addicted to drugs, but they also want their child. It's not good enough if you tell them, "Oh, I can teach your child to never get addicted to drugs and take just enough drugs for it to be useful." But if you tell that to a parent, they'll say, "No, I don't want my child taking drugs at all." Even if you train them to be a successful drug absorber who gets all the benefits of the drug but never gets addicted, that's apparently not bad. You're not allowed. They don't want that. They'll say, "No, don't put." 
any drugs in my child at all. I want no cocaine or ecstasy or anything else in my child. I want them to be perfect virginal. Uh, <laughs> never have a. I want them never to have an antibiotic in their life. I want them to be. Oh, I want them to have no idea what a paracetamol does because they never have a headache. Oh, it doesn't work like that. By the way, if you take a paracetamol every time you have a headache, then you gradually up the dosage every time. So you're taking three or four for each headache, and then four or five. You do it over a lifetime. Uh, I don't recommend this, incidentally. It's probably very dangerous, but I'm just theorizing that if he did that enough times, you could come immune to the effects of paracetamol. And then if you ever take an overdose, it'll have no effect on you whatsoever. And of course, then you'll have to find something else for your headaches, like cocaine or something. Well, at least you won't be, you won't be in danger of ever having an overdose from paracetamol. And that's a good thing. Don't poo-poo the whole idea of your child getting into drugs. There's good things and bad things about it. It's about management. That's what it is. It's about man manage your child. Don't just ban them from everything. Manage them. Or get someone in who knows how to manage them. There's probably a Mary Poppins of the drug world now who knows the exact quantity of drugs to get your child into so that they'll get the benefits and not the disadvantages. Now, it's probably at some point they'll have to be somewhat addicted, but just addicted enough that it's manageable. And if you have a proper modern Mary Poppins who knows all about this stuff, don't they have that program? Or so they have some program on one of those television channels where they, they get a nanny in and they uh, to a, a family where they're having problems with their children and the nanny takes over for a week and sort, sorts everything out and then she goes home. And you do that, except you'd have one who does that for, with drugs. <laughs> and, then, and then it'll be all great. Well, it won't be all great. No, the world is never going to be all great and perfect. But it'll be an improvement. It'll be making an advancement towards perfection. And what more could you want for your children than that? I don't know. What else do you want? You want them to win the lottery. Well, that's not going to happen, except it may well happen. That's another thing. Don't tell your children not to play the lottery. The lottery gets won sometimes, and I'll tell you who doesn't win it. People who haven't purchased a ticket, they don't win it. You're turning your child into a, a guaranteed loser if you tell them not to not to purchase a lotto ticket. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, what in the name of Christ? Do you want them to just sit their whole life with their arms folded, uh, sit down upright in a chair in case they damage their posture and just stare into space uh, with the television turned off and no drugs in case they get addicted to that stuff that makes them feel nice? Because God forbid you should get addicted to something that's nice. You want to be like, there's this thing that philosophers talk about whereby if you had some people who were raised from birth sitting in the cave with their backs to the cave entrance and there's a fire behind them and the only thing they ever see for their whole lives is the reflections and shadows caused on the cave wall caused by the, the flames flickering behind them. Uh, they will grow up thinking that the whole universe is whatever is in front of them on that cave wall. And that's what you're doing to your children. Your children are going to think the whole world is about sitting in a television-free room with no drugs and nothing that's either fun or good for them. 
Is that what you want? You probably do. You probably, you probably want them to study philosophy like that, but not learn anything from it. You want them to just lecture about it to everyone else so they can all grow up like your children too. Absolutely pathetic. Shame on you. May the Lord God Jesus Christ bring down his non-violent judgment on you with his I don't know, maybe wag his finger at you or something. But he won't, he won't punish you or anything. He won't do anything vengeful because you've punished yourself enough. That's what it is. Two cats walk into a bar. One of the cats goes straight up to the bar counter and says, Hello, can I have my usual, please? And the man behind the bar says, what's your usual, sir? And the cat says, sure to Christ, you know what my usual is. I've been coming in here. Oh, I've been coming here in here for nigh on 811 episodes now. Sure to Christ, you know what my usual is. And the man behind the bar says, we've been over this before, sir. I'm not the same barman who you come to see every week. I'm regenerated from scratch. It doesn't keep me in storage. It's a new universe every time. It may be the same two cats coming in, but everything else in this universe, in the world of the two cats walk into a bar story, is regenerated from scratch every single week. It's not new. I'm basically, I'm a copy. I'm a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You've never met me before. I may look like the barman who you've met hundreds of times before. But no, I'm just a, I'm just a copy. I'm as if, oh, I'm like one of those, uh, one of those, uh, oh, one of those sci-fi things where they have a, a future dystopian world where uh, they put all the dead people on a server somewhere and then they make a copy of them or clone them or something. That's basically me, except I don't even have that. I'm just a copy. I don't even have a real life that I lived. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm about as real as the, as the X's and zeros on your computer. And the cat says, do you mean ones and zeros by any chance? And the man behind the bar says, no, I don't. In, in this fictional universe that was created five seconds ago, binary code is made up of X's and zeros, which is rather confusing. If you want to have a, a game of noughts and crosses, you come along and they say, oh, Ah, uh, well, you can play it quite easily, but uh, you try to sell it to someone, you try to introduce one of the young people in this universe to, to X's and Zeros, they'll say, oh, that's like, that's like, uh, that doesn't look like anything at all, that's just binary code. And of course, back in, uni in your universe, they don't say that, because in your universe, uh, it's X's and Zeros are not binary code, ones and zeros are binary code. Are you following this? It seems a little bit too complicated for a two cats walk into a bar story. And the cat says, how would you know? You've never been in a two cats walk into a bar story in your entire life, supposedly. How would you know whether it's complicated or not? And the barman says, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with you? You're supposedly a real living cat who exists through every single two cats walk into a bar story. And you've seen hundreds and hundreds of me. You're like the Queen of England who saw about 85 prime ministers come in and out during her lifetime. You've seen hundreds of barmen come and go who all look like me. And yet for some reason, you don't seem to know how any of this works. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. That's what it is. And you know that's that's I say I say absolutely fucking ridiculous. I'm just doing that because I'm programmed to say it. It's not like something I'd say 
doesn't feel like something I'd say at all if I was in control of my own output. But no, no, it's like it's a program just came up and it says, now you react absolutely fucking ridiculous because that's what you say. I don't even swear. Well, if I had a real life, if I was a real existing barman who wasn't coming out of a computer program, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't swear. I'm not sure, to be perfectly honest. I don't know who I'd be if I was a real barman. Apart from obviously a barman. But would I even be that? I don't think so. Why would I be a barman? Uh, especially because if I was, this would be a bit of a busman's holiday for me. If I was a barman in real life and then every weekend I came into someone's spare room and climbed into their computer and instead said, program me like a blank slate as this week's barman. No, I pick something else. That's fucking ridiculous. You're doing a barman seven days a week in real life. You come in here and you want to be a... F- no, I would not. I wouldn't allow that. Assuming I had any autonomy, which is starting to think I wouldn't, if that's, if that's the way I'm being treated. And the cat says, what in the name of Christ are you talking about? I've no idea what you're talking about. You're coming out with this pure crap. Going on about some shit about being a barman or not being a barman or real life. As if this isn't real life. This is a bar. It's a real or fictional. This is a bar where you and I come in here and talk about her real life's experience. Are you telling me all these conversations I have with you are, are fake? I don't amount to anything. Because we've done hours and hours and hours and hours of them just this year alone. You've done hours and hours of these conversations. You're saying they don't matter. I'm a talking cat, for Christ's sake, and you're telling me a talking cat comes into your bar and whatever conversation you might manage to have with him doesn't matter because you've got a computer program running you. That's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. It makes no sense to anyone. Everyone listening to this is thinking you're an idiot barman. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking for a, for a man who was created five minutes ago by a computer and should therefore be pretty much at least highly intelligent and able to process information, if not feelings. He should be better than this. That's what the listener is thinking. They're thinking, this is so unrealistic. It may well be that the whole podcast is generated by a computer. It might as well be. Album covers now. Last week, he experimented with this AI editing thing and it cut out all his harmonica and then it cut out the bit where he was, oh, where he was panting, impersonating a dog panting. It cut that out because he had said to cut out all the breathing. And the, the AI thing says, that's his breathing. That sounds like a dog panting, so that must be his breathing. We're going to cut it out and replace it with silence. And the barman says, I think you're agreeing with me, basically. If you listen to yourself, you're, you're, you're just you're just making the same argument as me, I think you'll find. And the cat says, I think you'll find you're making the same argument as me when you think about it, even though you made your argument first before you'd even heard mine. But time doesn't matter to you, what being wherever it is you are, a computer program. Time doesn't matter. It used to matter to you. Then they got the 2000 millennium bug and they redesigned you so that time wouldn't matter to you. And ever since the year 2000, anyone who's created by a computer in any sort of a virtual world has no concept of time whatsoever, except to know that it marches forward one year every December the 31st, and whatever you do when you get to 99, don't go back to zero, go forward to zero, the other zero. Do something to distinguish between going forward from 99 to zero 
and going backwards from 99 to the previous zero. For example, you'd go, oh, you used to go, it was the year 99 and then it was the year zero. Now you go, it's the year 1999 and now it's the year 2000, which makes a lot more sense when you think about it. You're probably not even able to think about it, or you're you not really, not really. I mean, you're able to process the calculations, but you're not really thinking about it in any real way, are you? And the barman says, you're asking me a question that involves thinking right now, and you're asking me whether I'm thinking in any way. What do you think? And the cat says, oh, very clever, very, very clever indeed. You're asking me a question, me, a cat, that would necessitate me replying by speaking. And there's no way I can do that because cats can't speak. So you're trying to catch me out. Luckily, you've, you've happened upon the one cat in the entire universe in which you claim to be in another universe inside of where the only cat in the universe who can speak. Uh, other than then that webcomic, Matchstick Cats at matchstickcats.com. They have two speaking cats too, though. But they're not really speaking. They're, they're just putting text over their heads. They're not speaking at all. If You, you can't even see their mouths. He has their mouths covered up and obscured below the frame, so you can't see that they are not really talking. In fact, he just copies and pastes them. And the man behind the bar says, What in the name of Jesus, holy fucking Christ, on a popsicle stick are you talking about now? And the cat says, I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably put a link to it in the show notes, though, because that's the. I should be plugging that, really. The Matchstick Cats uh, at matchstickcats.com. And the man behind the bar says, Sir, people come in here to relax and have a drink, and maybe talk about, oh, talk calmly and relaxed about the world outside, and put their troubles aside. Maybe read a webcomic if it's in the paper, like Dilbert or something, although he can't really do Dilbert anymore. He's being cancelled. Oh, I suppose you could well, read Garfield. And the cat says, I beg your pardon. The man behind the bar says, I suppose they could read Garfield. If someone wanted to read a comic in here, and they find Dilbert isn't published anymore. They could read Garfield instead. And the cat says, how dare you, sir? How did you have any idea how insulting that is to say that to me? An intelligent talking cat. And you're telling me, you're talking about, Gar you're promoting Garfield as a representation of my species. How dare you, sir? And the man behind the bar says, how oh, will you take a chill pill? It's just a bit of fun. It's just a cute little cat who sleeps a lot and is a lazy cunt and crams lasagna down his greedy gullet like there's no tomorrow whenever he gets an opportunity. And he's just there for people to laugh. People see Garfield and they laugh. What's wrong with that? And the cat says, what if people made a cartoon of you and they showed you being a lazy arsehole? who crams lasagna. Oh, in your case, you're supposed to be a human, so I'd say you cram cat food down your greedy gullet at every opportunity. How would you like if that was how you were portrayed? And the man behind the bar says, it wouldn't bother me one bit. I have no feelings, as we've already established. I'm not a real barman. And the cat says, well... I don't really know what to say to that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, you, you, in fairness, you, you make some reasonable counter-arguments, and I'm only arguing for the sake of, oh, for the sake of stretching this out somewhat, so have to hand it to you. Anyway, can I have a pint of your finest Guinness, please? And the man behind the bar says, oh, you're usual, certainly, sir. And the cat says, excuse me, excuse me. 
Did we not just have a big long rigmarole where you claimed not to know what my usual was? And the barman says, I didn't know what your usual was. That's why I put you through all this so that he'd say it. They would slip out, I guess, say, a pint of fine, finest Guinness, please. And that's how I ascertained that that must be your usual, because you ended up asking for it. And the cat says, oh, I see. I suppose that's quite clever and reasonable. In fairness to everyone, would you like a game of noughts and crosses? And the barman says, do the foreigners even know what naught is? Do they know that naught means a zero or an O? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. And anyway, when you're playing X's and O's, is that the letter O or is it the number O? Or is it an uppercase letter O? This is one of my bugbears. People go around, they write down, they draw a little circle and you're supposed to know that that's either the number zero as a digit or the letter O or the uppercase letter O just by looking at it. You're supposed to, I suppose if you had a protractor or a compass or some sort of geometrical device, you could assess it that way and see if it turns out if it's more oval than round, then it's a capital O. But if it's all small and circular, it could be either a Oh no, wait, is the number zero the one that's oval shaped or is it the capital O that's oval shaped? You see, I don't know now. I'm sure I used to know this. If you get out a typewriter and you type the letter O and then you type the number zero and then you type the lowercase letter O, then you'd see from looking at that that there's quite a difference. You could do it on a computer as well, I suppose. But I don't want to do that. Doing stuff on a computer is a bit of a busman's holiday when you spend your whole existence as a fictional character in a computer program. So I prefer to just try it on a typewriter. And the cat says, did you just pronounce that typewriter? Do you know it's just called typewriter, I think? And the man behind the bar says, is it? I don't really have much call to say that word, to be honest, so I never really think about it much. So it's typewriter, so it's not typewriter. Are you sure about that? And the cat says, I was brought up to think that it was typewriter, not typewriter. And if I heard anyone in the street or at school pronouncing it typewriter, I'd say that fella has no idea what he's talking about. Probably never seeing a typing machine in his entire life. He probably thinks the only place he's seeing one is at the, the opening sequence of Murder, She Wrote. And she's dead now, your one. She's dead as a doornail. Well, the character isn't, as far as we know until they do a new season and show what happens to her. Hey, remember that thing? The Simpsons, they had that fella in it. Ah, he was the mayor. Mayor something, and he was the... Oh, no, it was it Family Guy? I can't remember. Oh, no, it was Family Guy. They had the mayor who was your man who played Batman in the original 60s television series, Adam West. And then Adam West died, and then they came up and watched Family Guy about a year after that, and they still had Adam West walking around in the background at some event in the town square, not saying anything, just going around grinning. And then they eventually did something about him, I can't remember what. They had plans for his car. Oh yes, they killed him off eventually, that's what it was. They let him live on for a while, with how handy corporeal presence. And then they killed him off. They basically turned him into Jesus Christ. They said, oh, the fellow who plays you is dead, but you can just wander around here silently for a couple of more seasons till we run out of wherever it is, I don't know. And then we'll kill you off. To name the school after him, would you want a school named after you? That's fucking insulting. The only people who get schools named after them are so-called saints who spend their whole life going around. Uh, there's that fella. 
It's this fella St. Patrick. He spent his whole life going around trying to stop us all from being murdering cunts and scumbags because he brought in the concept of right and wrong into, into my country. Then we after that, we were all perfect after that. It was great. And then we went to school and they taught us that song. It goes something like this. I'm not going to use the harmonica. It's no point at the moment till I figure out how to not have it blanked out by the thing. It goes something along the lines of Hail Glorious St. Patrick, something, something, Saint of our oil. That's like something that make you sing in a school in North Korea about their founding fathers. They'd say, oh, look, this fella, he's able to fly and he set up our country and he spawned a son and grandson who are also perfect leaders. And he drove the saints out of North Korea. And then he, no, he drove the, the snakes, rather. He drove the snakes out of North Korea. Uh, uh, he sent them over to Ireland. And then St. Patrick came over from wherever he came from. And he said, oh, you've got snakes in here. You've got snakes. There's one thing I cannot abide, it's snakes. So I'm very glad that they're not back in my country in Wales. Well, I live here now. At least I'm living here for a while until I have you all converted to my thing. So I'm going to drive them out of here now. I'll try not to drive them back to Wales though. Because I don't even know what way the sea currents work around here. Can I push them into the Atlantic? If I do that, will they kind of just flow west and go to America or something? And then someone pointed out, I don't think so, because all of the weather seems to come across the Atlantic from east to west and not west to east usually. Although now that you mention it, what way does the sun go? The sunrise, if I start, say if the sunrise starts in the east and sets in the west, does that mean the solar winds might have a say in pushing stuff from east to west? I don't know how that works. What if you have the solar winds pushing stuff from east to west and the prevailing air wind pushing everything from east to west? Uh, what happens when they clash? I don't know. Maybe one uses the upper layer of the atmosphere and one uses the middle layer and then you have the sea that has its currents that goes wherever way it wants to. I don't know. It's meaningless when you think about it. And the cat says, well, then can I suggest not thinking about it? And the man behind the bar says, I wasn't thinking about it. That was you, wasn't it, that said all that. And the cat says, are you sure? I don't can't remember. I said all that stuff about St. Patrick and North Korea. Why did I? Are you sure about that? And the man behind the bar says, I think so. I think so. I think I'd remember if I said all that. I remember someone saying all that and I remember listening to all that. So if I remember listening to all that, that means I was listening and not saying it. Because if I was saying it, I wouldn't listen to it. Why, why would you listen to something that you're saying yourself? If you're saying it yourself, it's something you already know. You're just wasting energy if you listen to yourself. No, no. I turn off my ears when I'm speaking. I don't listen to what I'm saying. Because that's just, oh, that's like, if you had, a, you had some sort of a device that charges its own battery, but also uses the battery to charge the charging part of the device, which in turn charges the battery. And the cat says, oh, you mean a car? And the man behind the bar says, is that what a car does? I don't know. I'm not sure. Doesn't the car has a battery that recharges itself, but it also gets fuel from elsewhere? And the cat says, and where is the elsewhere as a matter of interest? And the man behind the bar says, I don't know. I think it comes from oil. I think they get oil somewhere from under the sea. They fish up some oil from under the sea. As I, as far as I understand, they pump it up from under the sea. Well, first they drill under the sea. They drill a big hole at the bottom of the sea to search for oil. And then they find the oil. 
But just as they find the oil, they realise the hole that they drilled is filling up with seawater. One thing that doesn't mix, it's oil and water, I can tell you. So they have to, uh, well, they don't have to do anything because the two don't mix. They can just push the oil up through the water so it won't mix with the sea or anything. It'll be all fine. And then you just squirt it up into the air. Uh, you pump it up and then you see a big fountain spring spray of oil spraying into the air above the water surface. And then they catch that in the that oil thing they have for drilling. There's a thing up on stilts in the middle of the sea. They catch the spray of oil on that in a kind of a joint mitten thing. And then they, uh, they let any water that's on top of it evaporate. And then they put the oil in some sort of a container or a pipe that sends it to wherever it needs to go to be processed. And then they, ah, that's about it really. That's all I know about oil. And the cat says, are you by any chance an AI thing? Are you an artificial intelligence? Because you're starting to sound like one. All the crap, you know, all the absolute crap you talk. Absolute pure unmitigated drivel. What is wrong with you, sir? And the barman says, you're being a bit rude, but that's okay. I can handle it. I'm, I'm programmed to handle rudeness. Now, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to call security. Security, would you come over here a minute, please? And the security comes out and says, hello, I'm security. What do you want? And the man behind the bar says, now, uh, can you just... I know you're not the world's greatest retailer. You're a security man. Could you at least learn how to talk to people reasonably civilly? You don't go, what do you want? To a customer. You do not. And the security guard says, I was saying it to you, barman. I wasn't talking to the customer. And the barman says, I am a customer of yours. I hired your security firm to work in my bar. So I'm a customer of yours. And the security officer says, oh, I suppose you are. That's, that's a good point, actually. I suppose you are. Well, in that case, how may I help you, sir? And the barman says, I don't know. You're the expert in security. You're supposed to know how you can help me. I have this fella here. He's a cat and he's saying stuff. Yeah, I think his, his usual is a pint of Guinness. That's all I know so far. What would you do about that? And the uh, security guard says, is he doing something wrong? And, uh... Barman says, I have no idea. What's the correct way for a cast to go into a bar and order as usual? Because I don't know what's the right and wrong way. And uh, security guard says, well, if he says, can I have the usual, but then refuses to say what the usual is, and then engages in conversation for 10 minutes before he accidentally lets it slip what his usual is, then he's doing something wrong. He's wasting your time. Not that it's not illegal or anything, but he's taking up a lot of your time that could be spent selling, oh, selling services to other people. Because that's 10 minutes of talk now you've got and all you're getting from it is the price of a pint. Assuming he even pays. He doesn't look like he's going to pay. Do you ever see a cat come in here and pay for anything? And the barman says... Well, we don't, but it's just assumed that it happens in the background. Just like when you're watching a soap opera, they don't constantly show people going for a piss. So on these stories, we don't show the cat paying for the pint. And the security guard says, yes, but are you sure in this case that he actually does pay for it? Because I know in the soap opera, you're just filling the gaps in your mind and think they presumably must have a piss at some point off camera. Well, how do you know that about this cat? Do you know that he's paying off camera? And the man behind the bar says, As a matter of fact, no, I don't. That's a good point. 
And the cat says, a pint of your finest Guinness, isn't that right? And the man behind the bar says, oh, that's right, that's your usual, isn't it? A pint of my finest Guinness. And the cat says, it is indeed, it is indeed. And everybody laughs at a great night is had by all. (laughs) 